Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining me, as always, is your co-host, Jim. Space Radio, coming to you live from the tri-state area. Beautiful downtown <laughs> Latrobe, Philly, <laughs> and Cleveland. We were, uh, yeah, Jim, you're, Jim's from Ohio, uh, we didn't get to before we were talking, so he knows. That's uh, right. I bet your river never caught on fire. <laughs> yeah, see, that's a hard way to get famous. Oh, God. You know, I'm terrible. surprised, actually, that the origin of at least one of the X-Men was not swimming in the Cuyahoga River. Because, really, wait, locations. Wait, side oh, note, what happened Side Thanks note. What happened in the Cuyahoga River, real quick? What happened? Oh, that shit caught on fire back in 1969. It oh, was, fun. Uh, it was so polluted. Yeah, it's like Beijing is still trying to catch up to that. So, yeah, we had some pollution. It's cool. We just burn it off. <laughs> Holy crap. That's well, actually the the reason that the um that the Clean Water Commission exists today is because of the Cuyahoga River incident. True story. <sighs> and yeah. it's and it's strange that I was born almost a year to the day after that. Um okay. Uh, uh, I wonder if I am some sort of a fire some baby? sort of a chemical byproduct. Fire uh, baby. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you couldn't go out, right? Cause, exactly, you know, yeah. They couldn't. They had to stay home. Fire. What are you going to do? Anyway, folks, moving away from that topic real quick, uh, we do have a guest this week joining us from New Market, Maryland, which is kind of in the middle of the panhandle we were discussing uh, beforehand. Um, F.J. Lennon, uh, the uh, producer, director, and writer on the game I have recently fallen in love with, 1994's Star Crusader. Welcome, F.J. Hey, thank you. It's really, really good to be here to talk about this. Oh, well, thank you. It is, I, I'm going to be honest, it is, it has been very difficult to find people who worked on the older games. Uh, yeah, they're of, all, they're all, all, they're all bones out in the desert. They have to be excavated, right? Yeah, they've all moved on to different things. You can only sometimes find them through LinkedIn, and then LinkedIn doesn't let you talk to them unless yeah, you, how did you How did you find FJ? Oh, he's got a website about his books, which we can also talk oh, about. Okay. Uh, so that yeah. you, you were probably the easiest out of all the people I've tried to find. You were just, oh, he has a website. Boom, done. Uh, so you know, folks, it's nice to get a literate guest on here now and then. That's great. This is true. We had. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the Lost Fleet. I, I, series. I'm sorry, I meant a literary. Oh, literary. Uh, that, that works too. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the Lost Fleet series, FJ, but we had the author of that on a while back because we love the okay. space. We love the space combat in mm-hmm. those games. Uh, but let's get the plug out of the way. What are the books that you're currently? I believe there are two of them. There's a series of two of them. Uh, yeah. Right now. Um, the 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 novel series um, is called Soul Trapper is the first novel in the series and the follow up is Devil's Gate and I'm working on a third one now um, published by Atria Books which is part of Simon and Schuster and it's paranormal thriller uh, you know there's a ghost hunter uh, kind of a young uh, guy in Hollywood who's you know battling his own personal demons and substances and he um, has the ability to capture ghosts and then project his consciousness in to communicate directly with them. And, you know, he can help them. He can banish them. He can, um, and, you know, and he gets pulled into, uh, you know, several mysteries that are grounded in kind of, uh, Los Angeles folklore or right. Southern California folklore. So, you know, I'm kind of blending, um, folklore with some fact, with some fiction. And, uh, it's been a fun series to write. It was actually, 
um, born out of an iPhone app. I did when the iPhone came out in 2008, and this was one of the early apps, which was an audio adventure where, you know, I sort of paid homage to old text adventures meets radio, uh, old radio serials. And we did this audio adventure and the story was deep enough that I was able to, um, create novels around it. And then it's been optioned for television as well. So it's been oh, a great, really? story, great oh my property. God, congrats. Yeah. So this takes place in modern day. So it would be considered like urban yes. fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Paranormal, okay. you know, paranormal, I, I call it ghost noir. I, you know, it feels very Raymond Chamlery. You know, I went for that kind of terse, uh, you know, style, kind of staccato kind of, uh, you know, uh, smart aleck kind of uh, protagonist. So that's pay, pay homage to Raymond Chandler and the big sleep and put it in modern day. That That's what I, what I went for there. Well, I'm going to be honest. My favorite book series is the Dresden files by uh, Jim butcher. I, I'm mm-hmm. a big, I'm a big fan of urban fantasy. So I'm definitely going to give your books a try. Cause that, yeah, I, you shoot, especially shoot me no, no, I'll yeah, buy yeah. him. No, I'll buy oh. him. Come on. <laughs> gotta thank support you. My, the authors. My, my, gotta my support. children, thank you. Yeah, gotta support the authors. <laughs> gotta support good That's books. Right. And I love I love reading. So yeah. Well with the the audio thing, do you have um is there an audiobook version available? Um actually it's it? it's an audio adventure. It's a it's an interactive version of it and it's on, you know, the iTunes store it's called Soul Trapper. Okay. Not Android. Right, um, not Android? Are we not on Android? Um, and not on Android, no. Damn no. it. I have no iOS devices. None. Mm. So, damn it. That's fine. No, if you, <laughs> if you took that to the Steam store, though, I think you would be the only audio novel interactive. Yeah, there audio, are. Interactive there are... audio novel that's on Steam. There's a lot of, of poor interactive fiction that's up there. There's some yeah. things that are really good, like Steve Jackson's sorcery series. Yeah. They made the game out of that. Um, but I don't think that there's anything that's actually an audio adventure thing. Hmm. Uh, I, I paid yeah. for that on Steam. Which, which honestly, you know what, what's, what's interesting about that too is, uh, cause I was talking with Spaz, uh, he's a friend of ours and he's, uh, he's not without vision, but he's legally blind cause it's bad. Um, but we were talking about like games that blind people could play if it was yeah. like based off of just pure sound cues or whatever. Where and and even a person who has vision, if you played it right, it's it's just like well, close your eyes and try to find your way around by sound. You know, yeah, and there's goes. a lot of that in in the game, and and it's funny you mention it. I've I've been I've gotten several um, emails from blind people who have played it, and uh, they thought it was you know it, it was. You know, it it definitely uh, was the right kind of content for them because they, you know, they they it, there is a lot of these follow the sound things, and as long as you know on the on the screen basically where the where the where the prompt icons are, you can you can get through it with your eyes closed. You know? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Florida. Yeah, so that uh, did you take advantage of the of like the sensors on the iPhone, like you can wave it around like a ghost detector. Um, well, this iPhone one didn't have all, all the, all the bells and whistles it has today, but it did have, um, accelerometers and crap like that. Yeah. Well, there was an accelerometer in it. Actually, we, we were working on a follow up where we did some more of that about a year later, but yeah, iPhone one was, you know, it was also new. We didn't, we didn't even know the feature set until, you know, the thing we were actually developing it before the iPhone came out. You know, we were, Apple had had tipped us off that uh, it was coming and, and we had been prepping it for a while beforehand. 
Yeah, Floridon on uh, Twitch chat says you should take it to Audible. That'd be a perfect. Yeah, outlet. yeah, I would, I would, I would like to. You know, I, the the novel series still hasn't been done in audio. But I'm, now, I'm did you in in the game? Do you actually do the narration? No, no or, had, okay. There was it was actually a, a whole cast of actors um, and actresses, and it was you know mm. each part was voiced. So it's not it's not like an audio novel. It is an audio performance. It's so, really. Uh, I wanted to talk about that before we get into the game. I mean, not, let's talk about the game. One of the amazing things, especially for 1994, is just how good the voice acting is. I mean, there's a ton of it. There's a ton of it, and it's astounding. Like the the actors really are just into their roles, and they just really draw you in. It's really impressive. I have to yeah, say. It, you know that was uh, you know we our development we this was Take Two Interactive's first game, and I had been I was employee number one of Take Two and really I had I had Whoa. brought this with yeah I you know I this this was kind of born in Microprose and Microprose was was <gasps> was, was was crumbling and Take Two was formed out of the you know my early um, development studio Paragon Software. So oh, this yeah. was a property. This was a property that I had started working on at Microprose that I was able to carry over, and it was Take Two's first game. And but our development studio was was in um, was in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and um, so I did the voice acting um, direction in Pittsburgh. And um, you know those were those were like local actors. This wasn't done in L.A. or Hollywood, so. I've you know found some really good people to work with back there, and you know directed directed it very hard. I knew exactly what I was going for, and you know it wasn't always easy to get the performance out of the people. But you know it turned out there was just a, a you know some really good people in Pittsburgh through theater and Carnegie Mellon um, to work with, and it, it it was it was really came out great. I thought back, it still holds up. You know this it this really game's old does. enough. I could take it out for a drink. You know, it's scary. <laughs> I know. Um, now, wait, you worked at Paragon. The- Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, go ahead. Yes. No, you worked at Paragon Software? I, I co-founded Paragon Software. So, wait, so- you worked on Mantis, for example, XF? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, wow. Mantis was, um, yeah, Mantis was, was a Paragon title. That was done by a guy named Glenn Williams in England who we, who we, you know, worked with, um, and actually bought, you know, bought the game from. And then developed it, you know, for the U.S. market. He had a, he was a great, really sharp uh, engineer from from the U.K. Yeah, and Paragon, our claim to fame was um, we did the first ever Marvel Comics games. So the first Spider-Man game, the first X-Men game, those were that. all, those were all Paragon. So um, we started that 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 company while we were still in college. Oh, oh wow! God. So the the Spider-Man game is if it's the one that I remember because um, it had Mysterio was pretty prominently featured at the beginning of it. But was, was that the one that it, it was almost like a, like a graphic adventure sort of thing? Um, the first, the very, very first one was called Spider-Man and Captain America and Dr. Doom's Revenge. And it was a side scrolling combat fighter. Okay. Um, and that was 1988. Yeah. And, um, and then we had done an X-Men game, which was kind of a side scrolling combat strategy we 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 added puzzles and puzzle solving to that uh and then we did a punisher game and we did sequels to spider-man and x-men we did a lot of marvel stuff 
I see. Um, I'm looking at your really uh, early. I'm looking at your uh, the games on uh, Moby Games now. Of interest to a special interest to our audience is not only uh, Mantis but the Mega Traveler games. Mega Traveler games, yes. I I we worked with Mark Miller at GDW. Uh, we did uh, Mega Traveler. We did Twilight 2000, and I I, I designed and wrote Space 1889, which yeah. was a steampunk uh, RPG. Um. I did that in like probably ninety ninety one. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that was your, that was your baby entirely. That, that was my yeah. The the two that were my baby entirely were Space eighteen eighty nine and Mega Traveler two. Question oh, for me. Awesome. Yeah, Those we we got to talk about Space eighteen eighty nine some. So yeah, it was it was really it was that was a cool one. I I, I you know I still I, I like to see uh, signs of it out there online and. I saw some, there's some YouTube clips of it. It's, it's kind of fun to see now. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I, was- I never played space. I never played space 1889 or the mega traveler games. One of the reasons I created this blog is to go back to all the old games. I missed like the mega traveler games and to play those. So I will definitely have to, yeah, I don't, up I don't remember 1889 as, as a PC game. I mean, I, it's, I've, I've had the, the pen and paper RPG in my hands. Some, but yeah. I, I didn't realize it actually it had a PC translation at some point. Yeah, PC, Amiga, Commodore sixty four. I think we did, we covered all those formats, but primarily develop we we developed it on PC. We were we were PC developers. Oh, that's cool. I mean, I, I like the environment because it was sort of a a Victorian version yeah. of um, of uh, like the Mars. Uh, I can't think of the guy's name, John Carter. Yeah, it was like yeah. a Victorian John yeah, Carter yeah, exactly. setup. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah, steamships in 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 space and the ether and you know it was it was uh, you know great characters like Nellie Bly and you know yeah it was it was really neat. You know, I gotta I, say, I, you were with Microprose during kind of their heyday. I mean, the, yeah, the, it was their heyday. They 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 rose fast and they and they died fast. They really was, did. Uh, they acquired Paragon and oh, you know it was. Um, so we went to work for Microprose after they went public. They acquired us. They acquired us with their stock. All was w- wonderful. We got along great with those guys. And within a year and a half, not even a year and a half, within a year, the whole company tanked because, you know, they, they, they went after the um, coin op business and they were, you know, oh, coin op nice. games are great, right? Slug a quarter and play, but they, they actually took F15 and put it into a, a coin op game. And that, you know, that's a super hard really? game. I remember. I, not I, heard that I that know. Happened. I remember that it wasn't the greatest because that's a really. I mean, the F fifteen is a fairly complex. I mean, game, and you try to dump, well, not, not dumb it also, down. How are but, you, well, how are you going to make a quarter eater out of it? Is the problem exactly? Is, you know, really, an optimal like it, two to five minute playtime. It wasn't done. a good quarter eater. It wasn't. I pl- no. as soon as I saw because I had the PC games, and as soon as I saw that in the arcade, I'm like, I have to try this. And then I tried. I'm like, what is this? This is not great. Yeah, this is not, there's not you know you, there's not enough quarters yeah. in the world. I, I, too bad you can't go in a time <laughs> machine and tell those guys that because that that really cost us. Um, you know, I, I mean, it, it was just a disaster. So we ended up we had our studio in Pennsylvania. We were part of Microprose. We took that studio back from them. We bought it back, and then that's what got formed into Take Two. Oh. And one of the properties that I left with was Star Crusader. That so we developed that early in 
take two and that became take two's first uh first game ever and it got it got the company off to a great start it did it was a good game it was well reviewed it won awards it sold well it had a had a um you know global distribution there were versions oh, wow. of it done in many languages and and you know it got the company off to a to a very solid start so I was kind of proud, it, proud to look back on that. Better than Battle Cruiser three thousand. That came out two <laughs> years case, later. In case, uh, that in case Derek is in the audience. Uh, yeah, if Derek is in the audience, yeah, I I had I left Take Two after two years. Um, it wasn't the easiest place to work. Oh, and that was just when they were doing the Battle Cruiser stuff. A yeah, and I, oh. actually, I, I I as I was leaving to pack my bags and go to you know to California, you know, like the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, moving to Beverly. Um, <laughs> I was on my way out of take two's door and, and Derek smarts, uh, query letter came in. And, you know, I remember like, it was like 14 pages, you know, telling us how great he is and how great this product is and how it's the game that all games in the history of the world will be judged by. And I was like, good luck guys. <laughs> See ya. And, um, they went on to sign him, and it was one of the greatest debacles of in gaming history. You know, I used to get calls and people, uh, you know, telling me horror stories that I still knew in the studio. There it was just crazy. What well, a, what a, I, what I a classic s- story. I'm sorry. I, I just have to say, I'm happy to hear the game sold well because it came out between Wing Commander Three and Tie Fighter, and that yeah. must not have been an easy time to come out with a space sim because you have very established universes coming out with space games at that time. So I, I wasn't I wasn't sure how well the game sold. It was you know, it before it, Wing Three. Because it was it was after Wing Three. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a hard one yeah. to follow. It was because you know that was the hype of full motion video, and Mark Hamill and you know the. Um, you know, the, a cast of actors. And, and so, you know, but the thing about Star Crusader is it just, it slowly, it, you know, it just, it went along, you know, it sold well first month. It sold even more the next month. And so, you know, it wasn't a blockbuster, but it was a really good performing, you know, product, a game. It was, That's great. you know, it was a good solid game. And, you know, but of course we, you know, take two immediately went into full motion video. We did Ripper uh, you know, in '95. Oh wow, you did and, Ripper with Christopher Walken. Yes, I, I des- I, you know, I was a lead designer and writer of that, and uh, yeah, can, that. Can you get bad. Walken on for us? <laughs> yeah, he was. You got he his was, number. You can call he, him. He was a um. It was his wife actually cast the game, Georgianne Walken? Who, you know, she cast for the Sopranos. I believe she casts for yeah. just about everything he does. Yeah, and and you know lots of great shows. So um, that was a a really crazy experience. We should we should do a whole whole talk around that one night because it was it was really great. But um, and just being thrown into the fire, you know, where you know nobody knew how to do that stuff back then, and now you know the whole movies are done on green screen and in virtual sets. And you well, know, back there, then, back was, then it was all brand new. Brand was there like a huge change in the industry then? Because it, it seemed like, you know, the CD-ROM came out and then Hollywood suddenly woke up and said, oh, my God, they can put video on computers now. We need to be in control of this or something because, you know, they're in they're in our neighborhood now. So it, it was like, you know, 
video games were no longer a joke to, to Hollywood. No, that, that was the point where it did turn. And it was, it was CDs. Like, you know, literally within months, we went from, you know, floppy disk to CD. And all of a sudden, you know, you can, you, you can generate, you know, you have to create 10 times more content. And now you have to get voice actors. And you have to, all the stuff you couldn't do, you can now do. And it was, it was chaos, you know, yet suddenly budgets went, you know, from, from, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to make a game to hundreds, you know, to, to millions. Yeah. And, um, so that was a crazy time. And, and, you know, Wing Commander 3 came out and full motion video is a rage and Seventh Guest came out and Phantasmagoria. And all of a sudden, I remember everybody said, this is what the game industry is going to be. It's going to be movies. It's going to interact with movies, full motion video. We jumped on it with Ripper. Um, and then, you know. Yeah, luckily you dodged was, that whole CDI thing. It, you know, it, it was, it, it never happened. It, you know, video does not Thank play well. You know, like God it just doesn't. It died. And Thank it, God. it, and, but, but it went on to, it went on to film to become a prevalent production methodology. But, it never, it to this day has never has never um, made its way back into games, you know. So it, it was an became, interesting time. It kind of became a joke after a while. Sadly, I it's mean, hard to do. Well, really, it's hard yeah, to do well. Yeah, it's got to be hard to well, do the, well. The whole yeah. blue screen thing in uh, with full motion video in the games, and then the the digital set, right? Where it's like we don't even have a set anymore. It's all what's well, green screen now, but it was blue yeah. back then. Um, was was that actually Chris Roberts that like you know cooked the first meal of that with uh, with Wing Commander, or I, was way into it before that? No, you seem- I, I, I you know I'm not sure if it was Seventh Guest. I'm, uh, you know it's hard to say what the first one was. Um, well, you know you can look back to like even like Cinemaware way way back. You know, um, oh yeah, they weren't they weren't doing video, but they were. You know they were yeah, they doing were, kind of they were doing interactive fiction stuff big time yeah yeah um, which I wish the know, industry back to a little bit was yeah is, is just a too. fun game that tells a cool story that's not all it doesn't have to be dark and whatever you know it's just those like are, do something goofy and those fun. are all over Steam dude they're just yeah, Japanese yeah. and I'm just kidding uh, <laughs> yeah 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 Life is Strange is it was an interesting one you know recently. Um, as far as the narrative goes, but yeah, it, it was, um, you know, clearly wing commander was kind of the breakout one that, that actually did it pretty well, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, but it, 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 it never, it never caught on, you know, it never, it, it, it never became part of the industry. Yeah. But I, I wonder if that changed the financial climate though, like game budgets one, you know, because at that point, it was like the people that would invest in Hollywood started to invest in game studios, right? So, yeah. so game studios got this influx of of cash that they never had before. Right. So, I wonder if that's what that's what drove the production value of games like up to a new bar. And yeah. even when the full motion video went away, the money was still there. The money right? was so, still there. Yeah. And um, you know, some of these studios had footholds that that they kept they that, that they that they stuck with. You know, Disney. Warner Brothers. I mean, they've, they've, you know, they, 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 they weren't always at the top of their game in the game industry, but they were always there and they were always, um, you know, and, 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 you know, they drove, they, you know, I think they drove the, the, um, 
the quality bar up, you know, in the, in the budgets and how, you know, how the, how publishers approached game design or game development and game marketing. Marketing became this huge thing then, you know? So mm. it was, a, it was a pivotal time, you know, right around 92 to 95. Yeah, where, then, you know, but then, CD-ROMs just changed the game. I mean, and then you know, 3D accelerators after that, even even yeah. more. Like the 90s were a crazy time for innovation like that. Just absolutely yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, we do have a question from the audience. Uh, Florida would like to know if you still play games these days, and if so, what are you playing? Um, yeah, I still play games. I, I, you know, and I'm still in games. I'm still, you know, in the industry and 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 still active uh, in it. Um, oh, what's cooking? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I, I, um, I'm with a, a educational gaming company in Washington called Planet Three, and we're we're actually uh, blending game mechanics with curriculum, and it'll be in you know, be released in public schools. Um, so oh, that's, see, that's been awesome. That that's a a personal subject of mine is is that there is so much consumption of video game stuff out there. But if you say hey, this is an educational game, right? Like kids lose interest in it real fast. But if you give them something like Minecraft, then it's kind of like, well, they're learning something and they don't realize it. It's like you're sneaking it to them. Yeah, exactly. And, so, and, you know, I mean, is that kind of the new philosophy is, is like, even though we're making this as an educational product, it's not going to feel that way, you know, cause kids kind of eject out anything that feels a little like too stuffy. Right. Yeah, exactly. They, you know, they, um, they, they, they know what's what, you know, they, and it's funny that if you, there, there's, there's like my daughter's in fourth grade, you know, and there's, there's a product, um, uh, called 10 marks, which is a math intervention product. It's not a game, but kids do math drills and they earn rewards. And one of the rewards is you can play games and these are just games but they're not great games, you know, and it's funny. She, she doesn't want any part of it. She doesn't want to spend her reward because yeah. it's not, it's not as good as what's on, you know, her, her uh, iPod touch. So you can't yeah, fool them, you know, and I you just, gotta, you know, I just you, wish you gotta, that there you gotta, was, you gotta give it, you, you gotta give them a real game experience. Yeah. And, that, and that's, that's the thing is like, I look at well, what, what could get snuck into steam, right. That, um, that people are going to play, and not not just kids, but uh, but adults as well. But like, what sort of subject matter translates well into video game territory, where you're you're maybe abstracting things a little bit, but it's actually a real world case, right? Like, if you could if you could teach like I, I don't know money market finance, yeah. or something, right? Like like nobody has nobody has done a game that that I feel that I walked away and I've got a real world skill out of that thing now. Other than well, there's some stuff like uh, Shenzhen IO um, that actually, uh, you know, it's like I went to college for electronics and then I play Shenzhen IO and it's like, yeah, this is kind of like uh, you'd know what what's going on with an oscilloscope after you play this, you know, and you could sit down and actually look at some chip diagrams and, and know what's going on. But but still, that's like a niche sell, right? Like it appealed to me because I knew what it was. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's like wh- what could we do that uh, that we could educate and entertain but not make people feel like we were preaching education to them yeah you know i i mean we're we're tackling middle school science right now and um i mean you look at something like the martian right the book or the movie i mean 
there, there's a great example. I mean, they teach about, you know, photosynthesis and about, you know, plants and. Yeah. And it's like, you have to understand that thing or you're going to lose. Yeah. Look at, uh, look at Hamilton, you know, yeah. look at, look at how exactly. Hamilton is educating people about it, uh, history. Yeah. You know? So you, you can't, you know, and, and look at, at their heart, at the heart of a game is failure. You know, we fail, we fail, we fail, we keep playing, we're hooked, we're, you know, call it addicted, we're going to get through that level, and then we do. And we've learned a lot in those seven fails, you know, we've learned. And that's learning that sticks with you, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, there, there's, you know, there, there, there's, there's real possibility for learning that kids will retain longer. I mean, I'm convinced of that, you know. Yeah, the, the um, game that shocks me is uh, Kerbal Space Program because there's so much actual orbital science that's going on in that, right? And I mean, it's like, you you know, if, if, if I could have had that when I was a kid, I'd probably work for NASA now because I would have been prepped for it, like, right from birth, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, things like that where, where it's like you're having a good time, but, oh, my gosh, you actually learned how to do some some math and, and be intuitive about like physics and stuff yeah. when you're doing yeah. that. And, and it's not like, Oh, I had to sit down and work this out by hand, but you, but you understand like the laws of motion and some tripletal force and orbits and things like that. Oh, just yeah. Because you screwed around with this game and it's like, Hey, I got my little dudes to the moon. And, and then it's, you know, find out in science class, you actually knew something. Yeah, yeah, that that and you know even like you know Medal of Honor, I, I love the Medal of Honor games. But I mean, what I learned about you know, uh, you know about battles and about weapons and you know it's it's you know it's amazing. It's yeah. What well, I, was, what speaking, I, of, if I, speaking of history well, stuff, right? So they did uh, the Assassin's Creed game. The, I think it was Assassin's Creed Three, which was set back in colonial America, and. Right. They they did some stuff there that they you know, but it it was a little more just fiction stuff than it, than what I would have liked. But it's like I I was playing that, and it's kind of like, hey, you know, I ran into Ben Franklin in the game, so you guys really blew an opportunity to like have me hang out with Ben Franklin and learn some stuff about him. You know, thing, things like that, right? Like if, you, if you're going to be around the founding fathers or um, if I happen to be in the environment, right, then teach the history a little more. It's it's not just like, you know, can I run around and assassinate these guys or, or whatever? It's it's more like, well, let's talk about like the actual environment, you know, like yeah. what's going on in the country, thing, things like that. Um, because, again, you're slipping kids in education. And, uh, you know, so so it's like be factual and be thorough. But, you yeah. know, in service of the story, of course. Yeah, I, I think I, like something like augmented reality, you know, I've, I've, I've worked on augmented reality in Gettysburg and um, the opportunity to teach on site on, on, a, on, a, on a location where history happened is just it's, it's going to be a, a wonderful, great, you know, thing. Um, and again, I, I think that's emotional learning. You know, you, yeah, well, the the augmented reality thing is that like through a, through a mobile app or something like you hold yeah. your phone up and then the, you see the troops out on the field where they were or something. Exactly. Like. We, there, we, you know, in 2012 wow. and 13, I, I developed an app for um, Gettysburg's 150th anniversary of the battle. And you can rent an iPad and go out for the day. And there are seven spots um, in Gettysburg on, on locations where you can hold up the iPad and Locked to the terrain will be a scene, you know. 
Uh, Lincoln giving the Gettysburg Address on the spot that he gave it on. Uh, you know, Pickett's charge from both sides, Union and Confederate. So, you know, I, I was able to observe, um, you know, when we were doing the Lincoln scene, uh, you know, field trips come through that cemetery all day. And, you know, it didn't matter if they were kindergarten or high school. They were all like, what is that? Never saw anything like it. Didn't know what it was. You know, is Lincoln, is that a video, a 3D model? You, you couldn't, they couldn't quite tell. But, you know, I, I but I, I got, I, I just saw that that's, there was an emotional connection that you can read the Gettysburg Address and it's powerful. But mm. if you get to watch Abraham Lincoln give it on the spot, he gave it on. Yeah, without you know, without needing to install like Disney animatronics, right? Right, Disney, right. So it's it's almost like the iPad is is like a window into the past. Right? Exactly, like that's got a little call. hole, and you can see through into window in time. That's what we, that we actually use that term. So that's that's what we're going for. But you know, that's you know, you can read about Ben Franklin in a classroom, or you can you know you can pass the iPad around, and it could be standing by the chalkboard, and he could tell you his story. I mean, it's it's uh. You know, it's it's um, a definitely a more uh, emotional and powerful way to to uh, have an experience. Of- yeah, well, and especially now that we've got like I, I bought one of those Amazon Alexas and I've been screwing around with the API trying to figure out how to make it do what I want it to do because out of the box it's kind of disappointing. But I'm looking at the uh, the state of of speech to text that we have now. And if you look back to the old Infocom days when mm-hmm. they had a, the, they had a pretty good text parser. So we're to the point now where if, if people would remember how to, how to do like complicated text parsing like that um, in, in a game, well, now we have voice control that will actually work as, as the, the build-in stuff in windows is, is pretty abysmal. Um, but the stuff that they do cloud side, is, is getting to be like 99% accurate, right? Mm-hmm. So in a virtual experience like that, if you if you built like a Ben Franklin chatbot, right? Like just an Eliza that will, will talk to a kid, right? And they can ask questions to Ben Franklin mm-hmm. you know, with, the, with their Oculus Rift on or whatever. Um, yeah, boy, that, that would be, you know, talk, talk about like, I, I wrote a, I, I uh, wrote a heck of a book report because I got to sit down and interview Ben Franklin. Yeah. yeah. So that's a heck of a different. Yeah. And that's all possible. You know, it's possible now, let alone the future. You, you can, you can do a lot of this. Now the hard part is, you know, getting schools to, um, you know, adopt technology or buy technology. That's the hard part. Yeah. Well, I, I guess it's a thing of like if you if you sit if you sit the school board down and show them something like that and just blow their socks off. I, I don't know how they're going to say no to that one, but but it's also a thing of like you know budgets are tight. Budgets right? so, are tight. Teachers are burned out. Um, you know, and they uh, and every every place is different, right? Every every state's different. Every school within a state's different. So you, mm. you got a lot of, um, but but it's undeniable that it'll happen. You know, and. There are a lot of places, you know, Gates Foundation that are, you know, that are out to transform education and, um, and Google, you know, giving away hardware, you know, Chromebooks are prevalent in schools because Google's, you know, working hard to, to give the hardware out uh, to, to schools. Yeah. And that's the amazing thing about the, the society that we live in now. And, and I've watched people 
you know, it's like we take it for granted already, right? It was, it was so quick. It just took one generation and now it's commonplace. And, you know, we, we have a, a sense of entitlement about it. It's like, oh, this sucks. You know, this needs to be so better. Well, it does need to be better. But, but the thing is, we're, we're like way past mid game now. Because I, you know, it's like I'm a I'm a kid grew up in the '70s and and the '80s, right? And um, I I remember when there was no computer in the school, right? And it, it was like we had a we had a terminal that printed on tractor feed paper, yeah, and then, yeah. you know, you'd take a test on it, yeah. And and now, you know, so so I saw the whole the the rise of like you know the VIC twenty, the Commodore sixty four. Um, I had an Atari eight hundred. Uh, TI 99 was my first machine. And, and then, uh, you know, I got a PC and, and that was like, you know, the promised land is like, Oh my God, I got a, you know, PC AT I'm ready to rock. And then a Pentium. Um, but yeah, it's seeing where things have come from in that. And then I look at the world where we're at now where a computer was really cool. And then as soon as we got the internet, uh, which I was, I was a BBS kid, right? Like, you know, back in my early teenage days, you know, and, and there is a, a whole community about that, that I'm still friends with those guys today. The, you know, the, just the local people, because you, you had a community because of the, the long distance, right. You know, it's like, well, Ohio bell, right. I, I can't call beyond, you know, like from, from where I lived out to Maslin was long distance, but I could call everybody in Canton. So I knew all the bulletin board guys in Canton. Right. And, um, but then it was like, well, AOL's on the scene and now you can dial up and we got the whole world now. And, yeah. You know, was, that, that and, changed everything. You know, watch, watch that open up. But I've also watched the behavior of people change because it's no longer somebody that's within the area code, you know, that if you, if you talk smack, they can find you. Right. So, so we used to be a little more respectful back then. Um, but to, to see that evolution happen, and then the the change that it has had on society, and also the uh, the wide open availability of information, where it used to be there there was a lot of control of information before, and you had you know as NBC, CBS, uh, you know those guys, uh, that's where you got your news, and you didn't really have any other choices, right? It's like Walter Cronkite or nothing, and so that there was. It's it's just like watching that go wide open now, so it it's kind of like we have everything and and access to whatever, but then like the signal to noise ratio lately has started to get kind of foul, right? Yeah. So so that's that I think that's the current challenge that we have is is like now we have all the information, but signal to noise got bad, so we got to settle that down because it's it's kind of like we we we're miseducating people. Yeah, and there you know there there's no there's no barometer for you know for quality. Um, you spend half your time sifting through you know, a mountain of things to find you know the one good thing. Yeah. Um, well, and it's it has empowered us to become the content creator, like what we're doing right here. Because, you know, before it's like you needed a contract with the media to produce anything to get Mm -hmm. it in front of the public. Well, now everybody's their own TV channel if you go up on YouTube. Um, So so there's a there's a certain beauty to that. Right. Where, you know, it's like if if you do find those gems that are out there in the market, you can kind of ignore the the other. Um, But just the fact that we can do that, you know, like 
like with Brian and I, you know, it's, it's like, well, there's no way that we'd have got a radio show before, you know, right. it's, it's like, that was the, the privilege, you know, very few people. And, uh, and now it's, it's what you make it at yeah. this point. It's, it's like, it's on us, you know, we can be good. We can be bad. You know, it's what we make it. And we don't have, we don't have some like corporate gatekeeper that, that, you know, controls our access to actually publish. So, yeah. which, which is what happened. Cause I used to write for the, the game magazines back in the nineties and I've, and I've witnessed the, the falling apart of the, the print thing yes. and then everything went to web. And now I'm watching the web media collapse because of video. Yeah. And it's like, well, now what's going to be after video? I, I don't know. You know, I, I'm not so sure. I'm not sold on the VR thing. Um, but it, it's like, well, you know, we've seen this cycle before, right? Because it used to be radio and then it was television and then it became computers. So, you know, it, it's, it's just this iteration cycle that repeats. Um, so if I can figure out what's going to be the next thing, I'll call you though and we'll get in on it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Call me. Um, I, I'm not convinced that everyone's going to be running around with glasses on. I, I, I still find that really hard to believe. Um, yeah. I like the augmented reality thing. Um, yeah. It's that magic leap stuff they were showing. I, I guess it's kind of proven to not actually be every, everything that they were blowing smoke about, but the, the promise that they made of it, I could see happening in the future though, where, where yeah. you do get something that is, is not cumbersome, right? It's not like a, a big goofy Google glass that you wear around, but it's just something that's natural on, you know, on your face. Um, and then to be able to actually project information into the world around you would be very interesting. Right. And, and I think that would change the way people communicate because right now uh, with text and stuff, like, you know, we have emojis and stuff that we can send people. Well, what if I just had like an emoji floating over my head while I'm talking to somebody, you know, or, or whatever. So just the fact that that we could become our own walking billboards at some point. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm much more intrigued by AR than I am VR right now, but, um, mm. but I've, I've, you know, I've seen some great VR that, uh, it's, that still, delivers, it's, it's still in its infancy though. It really yeah. is. So getting back to the game, because that's what we're ultimately here to talk about. Uh, yes. how did, uh, how did, Star Crusader come about and what were its uh, humble beginnings? Because I don't, for folks who haven't played it, there's a lot going on in this game. And I mean, you not only had to create this game, but you had to create the universe uh, that no one has been in before and lay out all this information. And there's a lot going on here, not only with the game, but with the universe you've put the player into. So how did that all get started? So, so, you know, I, the origins of the game of of, of Star Crusader are, are really mantis, at least from a technical perspective. I mean, we began to you know we developed flight sim technology, um, and then and then uh, you know there was some attempt at at narrative and story there. Um, that wasn't a narrative that I worked on, and it was pretty crappy. Um, I didn't you want know, to say was, so, was, but yeah, it, it really was. It was, it was, it was, it was right out of Top Gun, but it was, you know, really bad Top Gun. Um, but so, you know, <laughs> I, but you know, uh, but that technology was, was, was getting better and better within the company. And, you know, I was, um, so I was tasked to do Star Crusader and I knew, okay, my benchmark is Wing Commander. And, you know, so I need, I need a good story. I need a good universe. 
And I was at the time I went, um, I finished, what did I finish? Challenge of the five realms. Then I was moving on to star crusader. And in between, I took a, like a month and a half off and I went to, um, the middle East. I went to Israel and I went to Egypt and, Okay, that explains a lot. Yeah, that that really explains does. like, um, and honest to God, uh, I was standing at the Sphinx, and I had this lightning bolt moment of you know, wow, what? It, and the ending of Star Crusader, I, I thought up the ending before I had anything else. I knew where, I knew exactly how the game would end. I had no idea where it would begin. I did not see yeah. that coming at all. By the way. I I, rec- um, I recently finished the Alliance campaign, and I did not see that coming at all. Yeah, and then, and then if you go back and look now, you'll see in the in the in the design of the ships, in symbology of the of you know the Gorian Empire of um, symbols and hidden symbols, and even the, the like the oxygen mask of the Gorians have like a you know have a um, almost the you know the the Sphinx kind of um, Chin thing, you know. I forget what they call oh them. Oh my now. god, you're right. Um, oh my god. So if you if you if you go back and look through the game, you're going to see it. Every I'm, I'm I'm feeling. I haven't finished the game, right? But I'm speculating. I'm yeah. um, I'm assuming some some like chariots of the gods and Zachariah Sitchin stuff shows up here. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I won't blow the ending, but um, yeah, but yeah, I, I actually had the you know I thought of the ending right there when I was standing in that spot. And and work backward, and at the same time, um, I was reading a, a lot about the Crusades, and uh, you know, so I I read this whole three volume series on the Crusades, and I was intrigued by you know, empires and um, you know the the, the whole the, the whole Crusade of you know moving in, we're going to make you better, we're going to bring you God, we're going to you know, and force conversion, you know. And did did the Crusaders think they were doing the wrong thing? No, they thought they're doing you know God's work and and uh, you know. But it was there's two sides to that story, right? <laughs> there's the oppressed and, and the oppressor, and um, and in, in you know in the case of most empires, I mean they don't think they're they're they actually think they're helping the people that they're that they're you know forcing under their will, and so a lot of the words you know the you know, tank ridden, uh, or, or, you know, come out of, out of the crusades themselves. They're either locations oh. or their battles or their, you know, so, so I, I was, you know, I, I was just intrigued by the thought of, okay, um, let, let's, let's take the crusades and set them in outer space. And then let's, let's work in, you know, this, the, uh, you know, the, the, the you know, Egyptian symbolism and also, I knew what I what I at that at that very time everyone was talking about replayability, replayability. We're going to have these CD-ROMs, you know, we're going to spend all this money to make games, but they got to be replayable. And you know, that's that's hard to do, right? You play a game, you, you bust your ass, you finish it, and you know, do you really want to go back and play it again? I mean, well, it's tough do, to tell a good story and be replayable. Exactly, right? and and I just talked to someone about that today. Um, so I'm glad you said that because I totally agree. So what we what we did with Star Crusader and the mo- the thing that I'm most proud of in this game, and it's it's really unique to to even to this day I think, is that you 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 know you are part of the Gorian Empire and you are going in to you know convert these people by 
you know, by, by force if need be, but you're bringing them into the fold and you're going to make them better. And the whole, you know, this, this whole region of space will be thankful in the end. And you go in and you begin your, you know, your, your game, um, as a pilot for the Gorean Empire and you're going on missions and you're, you know, now you're learning about your, you know, the, the, the alien races in this, in this region. You're beginning to interact with them in combat. You're beginning to hear their stories. You're beginning to um, absorb more of their culture. And, you know, they're telling you their side of the story as, this, as these missions are going on. And there is a point then in the, in, in the game where, you know, you have a moral choice now. Are you doing the right or wrong thing? Um, are you so, going to... So it's like you're out initially... You know, it's it's like, hey, we're on the mission. We're going to pacify these savages and and bring them, you know, society. Yeah, we're going to bring. You find out they've got a point of view as well, and it's maybe wrong. Exactly. exactly, they've got a yeah. point of view. They've got a culture. They've got a history. They don't want you there. You're not welcome. You weren't invited. So you get to a point in the middle of the game where you have now you have a moral choice, and you know they're, they they the Gorian Empire is doing some underhanded things. So are the alien civilizations. Nobody's perfect. There's no black and white. It's all gray. You get to the middle of that game and decide, I'm staying with the Empire or I'm going with, you know, with the, uh, you know, with the, with the alien nations. And at that point, the game goes two different ways. And you can play it, you know, to the end of one path or you can play it to the end of the other path. And that, to me, made it more replayable than anything I ever worked on because now mm. people p- picked – they made their moral choice and they, 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 they played out the adventure. And now, you know, now let's see what happens if I did that other – you know. So I, I was – you know, pivoting a game off a of moral choice is probably one of the things I'm most proud I ever did because um, that was a – you know, that, that's just a – was an interesting way to address replayability and also storytelling, and also, you know, give people a real, something real to think about, you know. Um, there, there just is no right or wrong answer to any of this stuff. And it was, it was, a, it was I think, the coolest part about it. And I have to say, because the story is so well written, which it is, and the voices are so well acted, it really pulls you in even further and makes that, that choice, once you have to make it, so much more have so much more weight, you know, emotionally, um, that you really feel it. Like when I had to make that choice, it was, it was simple, but it was also difficult. You know what I mean? Like I knew the choice I had to make, but it's like, Oh my God, I'm really doing this. You know, it really really felt real and it was great. There was a lot of chatter right before you make the choice. You know, you're hearing both, you're hearing all sides of the story and then you have to make the choice. And, and the interesting thing is there's no right or wrong answer. You don't, you know, game's not over. You didn't, you know, there, there's not a right or wrong choice. You, now you go down a path and you, you made your choice. Now you got to live with it and you got to, you got to see it through. So it was one of those things where games are always, you know, right or wrong. You live or die and game over, start, you know, start, start again. This one just just went, you know. Okay, I got I made my choice. I got to live with it. So do you uh, have an option to save at that decision point and then oh, yeah. come back to there, yeah. or do you have to start? You can from the save right. Be- you can save right before yeah. that mission. So yes. Okay. 
Yes. You can save between missions. So yes, you can. I was stupid and deleted all my save games. So now I have to go back and um, play through the campaign again to get to that point, which I do plan to. Yeah. Are the endings different for the Gorian and the Alliance uh, branches? Yeah, the that, they they end in the same place, and uh, and oh. you know um, they end in the same place, and they share some similar assets. But yeah, they're they're different. Oh, nice, um, nice, yeah. very nice. So uh, you know, in one case, yeah, yeah, it's. They're similar, but but you know, different enough. Very nice. I am definitely going to go back and play through the Goreen campaign. Now, I also read that there's also branching within even those branches of the campaign, where like if one mission doesn't go well, yes, you might play a different mission. And I I noticed that because it's not pass or fail. You might. I I think I finished one mission seventy seven percent. I was like, what? What does that even mean? And then I looked at an FAQ and it showed all these branches. I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh. Like how many branches yeah. can be within the campaign? Do you remember? Um, you no, know, I, I probably a dozen. I probably. Oh my yeah. God. Cause I've re- I read there are like a hundred some missions, but you don't just play through a hundred missions no. from end to end. You can have no. different I, paths. Yeah, down. I think it. I think it might have been forty or forty-three that you had to that you had to play to win the whole thing. I'm I'm looking. You got me going through my archive, and I'm looking now. That sounds uh, about right. I think I got. I think in my own playthrough, I think I played through about thirty to forty missions to get through the end on the alliance side. Yeah, um, and that's that sounds about I just, right. I wish this game had shared the engine with uh, like European Air War. Was, that was also microprose, right? So was that about in the same era? Um, probably that was a little bit before this. Yeah, uh, yeah okay. Pacific Air yeah, War I'd... came out around the same time. Uh, but European okay, I just I just was... remember, yeah, I remember European Air War like flying with with big formations of you know B seventeens and you know just how much stuff they managed to get on the screen and and like maintain a frame rate back then. So. Um, it's just like the now, the scope of your battles could have been I do have, huge. If- I do have one critique about the game. One one thing I don't like, and I'm going to ask you about it. The uh, the radar that uh, tells you where the, where a ship is and tells you mm-hmm. whether it's in front or behind you. Not the most intuitive thing in the world. And I wanted to ask about that because it's not really clear whether a target is in front of you or behind you. At least not to me, and I, I've played several hours of the game now. And the, the, I mean, the map makes sense, and all the other screens make sense, and there's a lot going on, but the, the radar never really satisfied me. So yeah. I, I guess the question is, how much work went into the flight engine itself, and was there anything you weren't completely happy with? Um, there, was, there was a lot. There, I, I don't know. There, the, if anything, there was probably just too much going on on the screen. You know, um, and and I, you know, I think I think it, it, you know, remembering the radar, we were kind of going for a three D um, effect, you know, but 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 it was a static, it was a static um, window, you know, it wasn't a three D window. I think that's what you're referring to. I mean, the game itself outside the cockpit is three D. We right. wanted it to feel three right. D in the cockpit. But we really couldn't do that because this was a, you know, a lockdown static asset of the cockpit itself, and that's probably where we fell short. You know, 
And this um, was like right before 3D acceleration. Yeah. Into, right? And yeah. no, it, the engine itself is really like there's a lot of ships fighting. I mean, the 3D yep. engine is great, uh, yes. which surprised me for a non-accelerated game in 1994. But so what what res is it? Like 320 by 200 or something? I think or? so. Yeah. I mean, we had a really good engineer on that. He was a smart guy. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen him in 20 years. But, like, with Wing Commander, you had that ring, and if a ship was outside the ring, that showed you it was behind you. And TIE Fighter had the two radars, one for forward, one for reverse, and that's how you saw it. But with this one, it's never fully clear where exactly a target is. And that's, like, that's the only critique I really have of it. Yeah. Because the AI is pretty solid, and... And not only that, I wanted to ask about the secondary stuff. Because, like, when you get to a point in the game, you can make secondary missions for, like, resource gathering and pilot rescue, and the game tracks all that. Where did that come from? Because, like, space games today don't even have that sort of thing. So where did that yeah. come from? Huh. You know, I it's 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 we, what what were the influences probably at that point? Um you know, uh, light speed, uh, maybe Nomad. I mean, there were a lot of space games, but like none of the space combat games had like resource management and like. Yeah, you, you know, you know what, you know which one did, and it was a big influence on us back. Um, Elite, Elite. Oh, you remember Elite? Elite was probably eighty six, eighty seven. Of course, yeah. That absolutely. was that. That was that was an amazing game that had that had uh, resource management that had. Uh, you know, specialty skills missions. You know, to 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 go. You know, to to mining. You know, uh, I you know certain take ores and from from certain planet mining planets and take them to other places and build a, an economy. That I think that if if I were to look back and you know when I very very first started in the game industry, Elite was a hit game, and that game had a you know it stuck with me. Um, Oh, that makes so sense. you could, yeah. That makes it, sense. It, and you, you know, it, it microprose or microprose are a lot of people. You know, um, Command and Conquer. I mean, all those guys. You know, they're they're. You know, you look at it at, at some of the best you know resource management games. There, they came out of microprose. You know, so there were a oh, lot wow. of there were a lot of people. You know, there were a lot of people saying, "What if you had a this or what if you had a that?" Because you know, it was just. Um, you know, a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of the great resource management um, designers were at Microprose back then. You know, Sandy right. Peterson and oh. um, Brian Reynolds, and you know, all oh, those yeah. guys. But I, I was just amazed once I learned how to do the secondary stuff and everything. I was amazed at the depth. I mean, you can send pilots out to rescue other pilots. You can send other pilots to take over. Uh, to combat other enemies and take over parts of the map, which I want to talk about the map in a bit, because um, other games don't even have that. And so it really adds a layer of depth that games today don't even have. And I'm just yeah. super impressed by that. I, I have to admit, when I, when I first played the game back in 94, I never got too far because I don't have a lot of patience as a gamer. And those those stealth missions pissed me the Rack off! I have to just be honest with you. They made yeah. me so mad because I was like, I just want to get in there and fight, and it's like, no, you have to like weave around other ships and stay away. And I still that gives me such anxiety even today 
as I was playing it. I'm like, oh god, oh god, oh god. I was exhausted after those stealth missions. After every single yeah. one of them, I was exhausted. Where did that come from? Because I think the only other game that does that as well is maybe Klingon Academy with its cloaking devices. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think any other game comes close to that kind of stealth mechanic. So where did the idea for that come from? Uh God. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, possibly it was, you know, it, it, it's, it could be that. I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know. Tie Fighter uh, didn't have that. Wing Commander didn't no, have that. They were just more balls to the wall. They were balls to the wall combat. So there were, there's, even today, there aren't many space fighter games where stealth is important. And even in like Free Space 2, which is a, the pinnacle for me, when you're in a stealth kind of gameplay, you're just flying the other side's ship. So you're not even cloaked or anything. Yeah. Um, I, I guess at this point in time, you know, um, stealth fighter, Microprose had done stealth fighter. Oh so, God. Yes. That's um, right. Now no one had even seen the, the stealth fighter, uh, and Microprose did a game. I mean, that was a big, a big, um, scandal, you know, like how, how did Microprose get, uh, enough enough information to build a simulation on a plane that hadn't been seen publicly, um, and you know, so stealth was on our minds, and we were really uh, intrigued. By it. Well, yeah, because you guys did F nineteen first, yes, and then F one seventeen Nighthawk. Well, I guess yeah. that was both after amazing games, place. both amazing yeah. games. Yeah. Well, they were very similar. But, you know, it was, it was kind of yeah. like Nighthawk was like the the sequel to F nineteen. Yeah. You know, which was yeah. like, hey, we made we made it look better, and we actually put the real plane in. We put the so, real plane in. Yeah, it was so. So that was a big, you know. Again, we're sitting around. You know, you're sitting around with some of the best flight sim guys ever uh, of all time, Andy Hollis, and oh god, you know, the, the, you know these guys that, and so you know they they would come and play this and look at our missions, and you know, what if you, you know, here here, what if you did this or what if you did that, and so oh my you god, know, was really, it was, yeah, yeah. Oh I mean, this was. This was at a time when, you know, uh, flight sims were really big, you know. And uh, so I, I think the stealth missions, we were just trying to cop uh, some of the, F, you know, some some of the Microprose um, stealth, stealth uh, missions. I, I have to admit. I, to put that out in space. I'm sorry. I just have to admit I had no idea there was so much Microprose DNA in this yeah. game. That explains a lot because Jim and I especially are massive Massive Microprose fans. Like, yeah, it was yeah. was uh, Bill Steely there back then? Oh yeah, yeah. Bill oh, Steely God. was there. Bill yeah, Steely got, he got I, run out right right when we left to go form take two. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. Because because you with uh, interactive magic, they're oh, right down. Yes, the street, love so. interactive magic yeah. as well. Oh, Bill Bill threatening to go over there. He's a he's I, I still am in touch with him, and he's he's still oh, a wow. character and a great guy. Well, is he is he down here in Kerry? Or yeah, is yeah. it okay? Uh-huh. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I yeah played, he's, um, well, t- he's tell him to take me flying. I think, <laughs> I think Jim and I probably played all those Microprose and Interactive Magic Flight Sims. Yeah, they were they were the best. You know, oh, God. These were the, you know those guys were they were the best you know, because and, they were focused on the world and the pilot and the environment and the missions and, themselves. And, 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 and just actors. setting it, yeah. Not, they weren't like rivet counting. They were more like setting a stage 
for the pilot. Well, that's, that's where Flight Sims blew it, man, is because Agreed. they had accessibility back then. Oh, God, And yes. then they, they, they started, I think, trying to listen to the overly vocal minority yep. about we Agreed. need more of this. And that. I, I, it's honestly, what drove God, I think, I think uh, F-18 from Origin oh. back, that came out is the absolute height of Flight Sim. That mm-hmm. that was the pinnacle, and after that, I mean, it's like, yeah, we got DCS now, but yeah, it, it's, it's like I am I am capable uh, of flying that A ten, you know the the C, um, but it took me oh, <laughs> it took me months to get used to because it's it simulates the weapon systems of the real deal, yeah, pretty accurately, and I, and I enjoy a flight sim because it gives me an appreciation of the pilot workload. And in that case, it's kind of like for as simple as that plane is compared to the other planes around it, that thing, uh, you're going to go to school for that. <laughs> you know? And and here it's just kind of like, well, read some forums and, uh, you know, keep a kneeboard handy and, and try to struggle through figuring this one out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's a game like it's borderline. Mm-hmm. Like I should pay to go to a class to learn how to play that thing because I spent the money on it. Yeah, um, I, I but, think Andy Hollis might have worked on that at Origin because I, when Microprose kind of tanked, I think Origin recruited Andy Hollis. And I think the, yeah, they uh, were actually they were working the James, on the A10 game. I think, but for yeah, the James, the he works on the he worked on the James games with them, I believe. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. The, uh, I wonder if anybody still has a copy of the the like oh, pre-alpha of Jane's A10. I think the mm. those rivet counters drove him out of the industry, though, out of the flight sim stuff, because like they bitched and moaned about Apache Two, which Apache Two, one of the finest Longbow helicopter, two. yeah, Longbow Two, one of the yeah. finest helicopter sims to this day, and people weren't pissed about it. it was like, come yeah, on, you really? know, my review of that's actually what got me the job at CGS. That game was, was so, yeah. But another thing I want to talk about with Star Crusader was the map. Like you can go to a map room and see like, and that wasn't fixed. Right. If I recall, cause like different, you come back from a mission. They're like, go look at the map room. They took a sector. We took three sectors. They took two sectors. Yeah. That was fluid. If I'm remembering correctly, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was. Oh yeah. It's been, it's been how, a while since I've seen it, but yes. And how, and did that have an effect on the campaign as a whole? Or did that have an effect on like how many pilots you had and how many fighters you had and that sort of thing? Yeah. I, I think it was, it was, it was how many resources you had, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. But it was, it was stuff. cool. It was very, um, you know, that, that was, that was a big part of it. I mean, you, 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 you know, it was that addiction factor of getting back and seeing that thing and, you know, so, so in this, like you're not just the pilot, but you're kind of CAG as well. Eventually, right? so yeah. eventually, you, you work up to oh. yeah, you work up to having those responsibilities, and like eventually, like at first, you can't choose your wingman, you can't choose your wingman, you can't do any of these missions. At first, you're just a pilot, but eventually, you get promoted to a point where you can have you can choose which pilots will patrol your base, and you can patrol mm-hmm. like. The way I won the campaign is because I couldn't finish the mission, but I set up a was it a contingency mission I think where if you fail they go in and try and win it. You know, the same mission. You could actually send you can choose which pilots will go on a contingency mission. And so I won the campaign with a contingency mission, which is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what other game could do that where oh I can't win it but someone else will I set the groundwork you go in and build destroy that base <laughs> and that that's comes that that's right out of RPGs you know we were blending elements of that you know because we were working on Mega Traveler and 
you know, at the same time, you know, so, right. um, yeah, we, that, that, that's, that's, that's kind of a, a, a page right out of the RPG book. Oh. You know, you have it, you, you got a team of, you got it, you know, you, you've got your, you've got your party and, uh, you know, what you can't do, the other people in your, in your party can do. And, you know, that's where that came from. So I got to ask about, um, memory leak that just reminded me of it. At one point in the game, you re- you go into this Bermuda Triangle point of space and you reach this entity and it kind of sucks your ship in. And then it's like, mm-hmm. check out the Granada expansion. What happened to the Granada expansion? Oh, yeah. Because I, I was, know. I looked everywhere for that and apparently I learned it was never made. There was a bonus. No, there was a bonus. There were bonus missions that had a Granada thing, but apparently that wasn't the same thing. That was a different thing. I think so. What happened to the actual Grimnada expansion? Remember? Um, boy, good question. Um, you know, I no, I, I, I'm not. I don't know. I know we did one expansion pack. I thought, or maybe we didn't. Uh, there was a set of bonus missions that also came yeah. with the speech pack. Apparently, if you had the floppy disk version, you know, it's um, never too late. But Never too late. Yeah, there, been, there's some unfinished business. I would yeah. kickstart the shit out of Grimnada expansion. <laughs> like, let let people like kickstart the expansion and give them a copy of the original game so they can play that as well. Speaking of yeah. which, do you know what's going on with the rights? Like, why isn't this on GOG? Is it because it's in rights hell? This should be on GOG, for example, or Steam. Do you have any idea why it maybe isn't? No, no, I don't. No clue. Um, I, well, is, I, it still, you know, is it still take two that's the go-to people to ask about? Like, I would think, you know, yeah, it was, this was, this was published under take two. Um, you know, so I, yeah, good question. I mean, you know, everybody from those days of take two are, are gone. Half of them are, you know, um, uh, you know, e- even the early founders are all gone. So, yeah, good question. I'll have to do. It's some sitting digging. out there. Yeah, I'll have to do some digging because I, I first I want that expansion. I want to find out what the hell happened in that, in that, in that entity. I, I can. Do you remember what happened? Do you remember if you had a story set up for that? Do you? Did you? Yeah, I, I. You know what? I, 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 I will look into that for you. If it, if there was anything de- designed or developed for it, I will let I will send it to you. Oh so my you god! Yeah. At. So at least we could tell people what yeah. was supposed to happen because I want to know. Yeah. There's a whole thing in there. Like what happened to Roman? Oh my god! Yeah. What happened to Roman? I, I I think I think we kind of you know moved forward, um, you know into into the adventure game uh, category like right after Star Crusader came out. Why, why I don't know. I mean, we were chasing, um, you know, that market was, was, was really hot and, you know, Ripper and Hell and that's where, that's where we went right after Star Crusader, uh, narrative based, uh, adventure games. But it's still, you would think, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not sure where we left off with that. You know, I, I kind of vaguely remember developing some storyline for it. Um, but I will find, I will go through and, See what I have. Yeah, please, because cool. when when you get back in the game, like Roman's like, I barely escaped, and I'm like, wait a minute, what happened? Why did you <laughs> barely escape? I want to know. I yeah. really want to know. So I, I want. I also want to ask how much work went into not only fleshing out the universe, 
but the characters as well, because they all have very distinct, even the aliens and your fellow Goreans, they all have very distinct personalities that, not, I mean, the voice actors brought that out very well, but the writing did uh, brought that out very well. So how much work went into fleshing all that out? Because there is a, a lot of, not only world building here, but character building. Yeah, there was a lot of character development. Yeah, they, you know, you want you want to give you know you want to give each character their own personality, but within the archetype, you know, of of that race. You know, each race had their own kind of, you know, the Tankards are warriors, you know, and the you know the the Mazumas are you know economic. They're you know they care about you know the the their economy, their their wealth, you know. So so within those those sort of archetypes, then, you know, you want to give each character their own personality. And, you know, that's what I do. That's what I've done my whole career. That's why I'm a novelist and a screenwriter um, on the side, because that's what, that's what I always wanted to bring to games, you know? Um, And this was probably one of the best, I mean, probably is the best game I ever, ever, um, to this day was, you know, it was, it was, uh, it, it hit the mark in a lot of ways. And yeah, character development was just something that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a, you know, I was, I'm a big reader. Um, at the time I remember I was reading, you know, Larry McMurtry and, you know, Lonesome Dove and, you know, that's, those are all just, every character is interesting, you know? And, um, and they be, they feel like they're your friends, you know? And I, I, I was trying my best to, to do that. You know, I was, I was marveling at Larry McMurtry and saying, you know, I would like to put a little Larry McMurtry in a, in a computer game. So I worked real hard to give each one of those characters a voice and some humor and, you know, at times. And I try to do a lot there, you know, but I'll be honest. I really came to care about not only Alexander, Roman Alexander, or Alexandra, I, I can't remember yeah. right now, but also his uh, his immediate supervisor. I can't remember his name right now. There's there are a lot of names in the game to keep yeah. track of, but his immediate supervisor with the deep voice. I really like that. Blois Yes, yes, Fulcher. Yeah. Yes, Fulcher. Fulcher was great, and uh, I. Th- I could have sworn I've heard some of these voices before, so I looked them up on IMDb, and a lot of the voice actors have done other things like cartoons and video games and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a yeah. really, again, really amazing cast put together for the voice work of this game. Yeah, a lot of them were, you know, Carnegie Mellon, uh, you know, either in the acting program or acting teachers, oh. or uh, yeah, there was there was a lot of uh, CMU synergy here. Now, one um, thing. With that. Sorry, um, one thing no. I also wanted to talk about was how much fidelity goes. Not only we talked about the engine, but not your own fighter, because you have if you just hit the this this end button, you have full control over so much in the game. Your uh, how much power? I mean, it doesn't look at it at first, but you have full control over what gets the most power, what gets repaired first. Uh, also, you can give your wingman commands. Um, from the map, it's all just right there on that screen. I do like how um, the game pauses to let you do all that. Um, I guess the only thing I missed is like like Tie Fighter had like Control A or was it Shift A to do real quick wing command commands. I don't think this game really had that. Um, but I really loved how much depth went into your own fighter. Was that also like a micro micro prose uh, holdover? 
Was yeah, that? yeah, yeah, and and just um, you know, just being able to customize, uh, you know, just inherently knew that that you know you want to you want to put your own personality into that, you know, into your vehicle, you know. Well, kind of the beauty of of space sim stuff. And, you know, especially today in the, the situation that we're in with DCS and, and everything versus the other, um, is I, I would like to see even more of a resurgence in space sims because it's, it's like Star Citizen, I don't have a lot of experience with. Um, I'm, I, I have hopes that that matures into something that I'm really proud of someday. Um, but Elite is the thing that I've got in hand right now, right? And uh, Braben's done a, a pretty great job with that as far as having a complex array of systems and yet presenting that in a way that's manageable, right? So you're not dealing with a lot of switchology in a cockpit kind of thing. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's just like you look at this panel and it pops up and then you interact with it with the same standard keys. Um, and like we were talking about the rivet counters killing r- real flight sims, right? Because yeah. un- unfortunately uh, there is a, a real-world example, so you have to mirror that, right? So you have to be have all the complexity of all the switches and stuff. Um, but in a in a space sim like yours here, where you can actually present all this complexity of system management and yet put it in a UI that uh, can be handled by the average user, so they don't feel like they're just blown out by it, right? So there's as much depth there as you want to find, but you don't necessarily have to like dig into all of that. Yeah. So yeah. like if you're a more casual player, um, right. But it, but it doesn't scare the hell out of anybody either. Like to look at it, it's just like, Oh God, no, I can't, you know, I wouldn't ever be able to play that. Yeah. We, we were, we were clearly going for a more mainstream, um, you know, experience, you know, have, having seen the micro pro stuff under the hood and, and how it's presented, you know, we yeah. wanted it to be, we wanted it to be more accessible, you know, yeah, and probably, I, I remember you, you cracked up in that box, right? They were first off, um, Microprose was the king of like the big ring bound manual for yes, the game with yeah. a flight sim. I love that stuff. Um, I learned a lot about aircraft stuff just f- through reading that stuff. And then, uh, well, yeah. like with the longbow games, I was an Apache mechanic in the service for four years. So coming out and then playing longbow too, it was like, yeah, that's legit. So <laughs> I, I, love, I was pretty proud of them for that. I love the keyboard overlays that came with some well, of the microphones. Yeah, that's, that's oh, the yeah. thing that I miss with games oh, now because yeah. everything's download, right? So you don't get that cool keyboard overlay. Well, all the keyboards are different now, too. It's like everyone had a – back then, everyone had one type of keyboard. Yeah. That was it pretty much, you know? Yeah. Uh, but now they're all different, so you can't really – you can't really make those yeah, but, anymore. But oh my god, I, like so many of those games, I wouldn't have been able to to really oh play. God, right? oh because yeah. it, it's like, and and thank God for the pause key because Woo-hoo. it's like I'm five miles out from the target. Oh god, what is that key? Pause <laughs> and then pull out the keyboard chart. You know, unfold it because it's like a a four panel fold out monster. But and and not only that, it got to the point finally where there is like three different colors on every key. Because it was like the the unshifted, and then oh, was yeah, one with right. control, and one with alt, and <laughs> you know, talk about like use it's the three hundred and three key keyboard because you take that hundred and one and triple it. So yeah, and and thankfully, and hopefully this can continue, is that we come back into an age with the space sims where the flight sim guys wake back up and say, hey, 
you know, we could make a Jane's USA F again, you know, like a a survey sim that's approachable. Oh God. I wish that there was a a current version of that. USA F and fighters anthology, please. One of those two, someone remake one of them. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause, Oh, I miss them. So I miss them. Bring back the Microprose name. God, right. I'm really happy that, 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 What's the name? Retroism, I think. They're at least bringing those old games to Steam so more people can check them out. That is nice. Like, I have bought F14 and 1942. I've bought all that crap on Steam. I have triple dipped on Steam because... I even even bought Gunship 3. Why? Why did you do that to yourself? Come on! Because because that's the kind of guy... Such a bad game! You know oh, what the no. internal the internal uh the the internal name for that was? It was Gunslip. Gunslip. Oh. Because they, <laughs> it, it was it was it was a year late or eight oh. months after. Well, and the, and the oh. thing was too that I was so hopeful for was that because there was supposed to be M1 Tank Platoon three. Hey, oh. let's talk about M1 Tank Platoon two. Who's got the rights to that? Because that oh, bad boy needs to get up. On, that needs to go somewhere. Good old games right game, now because uh, oh, it's still it. it's still good. Oh God! It's it's it got a great dynamic still, campaign, like it's a, but it's still accessible. Oh my God! Yeah, love, there, there's oh. a complete lack of tank sims. I mean, there's okay. So there's Steel Beasts if you got like 150 bucks to blow, um, or you can play like World of Tanks or something. But there is nothing Not in that same. niche Not that is same. that is like an approachable yet semi tank sim that actually has well Arma. Right, if you if you want to go into that, because um, that's right. Saturday well, I mean, nights, I drive a tank in armor. <laughs> I, I don't so. think I'll be honest. I love World War II flight sims, and I don't think anything has come close to 1942 Pacific Air War in terms of variety, in terms of fidelity, in terms because I mean you can you can be an admiral and a pilot in that game if you recall. It yeah. had like who the did ten- Red Baron. Red, that was Sierra uh, and Dynamics. Oh, Sierra. Yeah. Okay. That was Sierra yeah. and Dynamics, which was a great game. But yeah, I we mean, need more of that too. Well, I mean, Wings, it, it, Wings Over Flanders Field is clearly the 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 top uh, in its field now. But for World War Two, to me, it doesn't get any better than 1942 still, because yeah. of just all the just the variety in that game. Like, yeah, sure, Isle Two is nice. But, well, did 1942 put you kind of in the role of uh, of fleet commander? Yeah, at some point. Yeah, where it you're had directing a, the ships around. Yeah, okay. it took it took like it took the fleet command stuff like almost right out of Task Force 1942, which was another great game. Uh, and but when you had missions going out, if a, if planes met other planes, you could take the cockpit of one. Oh, of those okay, because that because it reminded me. Uh, well, Star Shatter. Right when my oh, yeah. that oh, yeah. was was like let's take uh, Pacific Air War and put it in space was kind of I think the vision that he was going for because you could get to the point where you yeah. were directing the capital ships around mm-hmm. even though you were a fighter jock. That is the closest thing to it in space. Is yeah, it was Star basically Day. Falcon yeah. Four in space yeah. without yeah. all the switchology, but it it had a yeah. very complex flight model. I think people freaked out because it was full Newtonian. Which, that, which also speaking of Manus earlier in in the podcast, mm, that yes. that was the problem that I had with Manus, right? That freaked me out because um, I never got the well in 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 Braben's game, uh, Frontier First Encounters. Like now that I play it again, you know, thirty years later, 
I get it. And, you know, but there it's just like, well, I got to lay on the engines and, and then you end up shooting past the guy. And you're yeah, it was, it was like, it was kind of like really what would happen in space. And of course yeah. that's not fun, you know? Um, well, but, it, I, but what I found out is if you actually feather the engine a little bit, you can drop behind him. And if you get behind him, now you're in a dogfight that will stay yeah. that way as long as you maintain a little discipline on the throttle. But back then it didn't occur to me because I was, you know, tie yeah. fighter, right? Like jam it to the jam it to the wall and go. Yeah. Yeah. That was, you know, that was, uh, we learned a lot from Mantis about, you know, playability and fun, you know, this, uh, it wasn't, you know, wasn't entirely fun. Mm. So, um, the XCOM interceptor game, were you anywhere near that? Um, no, I really wasn't. Um, you know, I, I, I knew it was being developed. That made. makes sense. It wasn't very good, yeah. like, at all. Which is a shame, because it's one of the few space games with a dynamic campaign. But it had some interesting elements, right? Like, if the if the flight modeling had been a little better. But the, the whole deal of, like, um, you're, you're beaming up plans to get your new equipment and stuff was interesting, because it's not like you're just researching this stuff out in space. But yeah, you're, that was you're that was probably transmitted to you. That was probably the neatest thing about it was that element to it. But the rest of it was just well, so that, and they they went for that yeah. that uh, like chrome and and uh, Art Deco oh yeah feel about yeah. everything right like the the ships uh, the, all they they lacked was like wings on them like a fifty seven Chevy right and then <laughs> but so they, have... but it did man it, it it was it was cool art style. Oh yeah, that and Apocalypse used that art, that futury deco art thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that was jarring to people though. Coming, it was like XCOM and then Terror from the Deep, and then you know, like I loved uh, Apocalypse. I love. I, I, I liked I, it, I, it was, but it, but it was a hell of a jarring thing to go from the art style of the first two into Apocalypse, where suddenly it's it's like art deco zany. And, uh, you know, people were just like, what the hell is this? And also going from uh, turn-based to a real-time possible. Well, you can also also do turn-based. But I I love that Apocalypse was just in one big city, and it kind of tightened that focus a bit. That made it, I think, for me, a lot more fun, rather than this big globe with a bunch of, like, randomy, oh, I'm in Germany, which looks like France, which looks like America, which looks like... England, you know, so I like the yeah. I like the city a little better, but it's it's a shame about Interceptor. So yeah. going back to Star Crusader for a second, if if it sold well, was what, what was there never talk of a sequel or anything? I mean, why was there never a, a Star Crusader two? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I again, I I think it it probably. You know, I, I, I guess, you know, f- flight sims were kind of, I wouldn't say they were, they, they were beginning to decline a little bit and adventure games were, were, were the, were the, you know, kind of the hot emerging thing. Um, and, you know, we, look, Take Two was really small back then, right? We were, you know, we, we weren't even 70 people, you know, um, and we were probably at, at the time of Star Crusader, we were probably, you know. 20 people, 25. Um, so, you know, uh, we went, we went from star crusader right into, right into the adventure game market with, with hell and then rip and then ripper. And there was probably, I remember talk for a while about, about the sequel and about developing the sequel, but you know, with the resources we had, 
um, uh, you know, we, we, we focused on, on the adventure game and I was probably the one pushing that because, you know, I'm, I'm all about narrative and story and characters. I'm, you know, I'm a writer at heart and I certainly wanted to, um, I, I wanted to get into full motion video. I wanted to, uh, you know, to, to sort of, um, get into that arena because that was the hot place to be, you know, wing commander, uh, you know, sort of put FMV in the, on, and, and seventh guest were, were the rage. And I, and, you know, we were all excited to try to jump into that probably thinking, well, we'll circle back to, to, um, you know, to, a, to a sequel to Star Crusader because it did do well, it did, did well globally. Um, so, you know, but, uh, you know, but I, but I left take two after the, the first two years, uh, after Ripper, I went out, I went West. So I, I guess that's it. I mean, it w- wasn't, it wasn't a business, you know, it wasn't a sophisticated business. We were basically, you know, picking products to do not based on market research. It was based on what we wanted to work on, you know, mm. and, uh, we were, we were all kind of anxious to, Dip our toes into FMV and get some celebrities in there to That's to true. work with and tell a good big you know eighty hour adventure game story and write a big script and um, so I think that that's that that's primarily what it was we weren't you know we weren't um, we we weren't making decisions uh, with with an accountant's hat in mind you know it was it was gut feeling and uh, what we wanted to do back then. It, it's also kind of interesting because that was a 1994 was a crazy time for gaming. I mean, I'm just looking at a list of what came out that year. Besides Wing Commander and Tie Fighter, Earthworm Jim came out that year. Master of Magic, System Shock, Doom Two, uh, XCOM came out that year. Warcraft, yeah, Tekken, like holy crap. It was a pretty holy, thick market. Holy crap. It a, was. A lot of crap came out in 1994. Yeah, but that's, that's also whenever studios were really willing to experiment because yeah, they were on yeah. the crux of some new technology, new capabilities with graphics, things like that. So, that yeah. so, makes, that's, why, yeah. so that's why it's not like, well, because hot on the heels of that, you know, because like Command and Conquer comes out, right? And then, and then studios seem to be, they'd clamp down and it's like, if it's, if it's not a clone of Doom, or Command and Conquer, it doesn't get made, and we had like a five year spell of that. Yeah. And that, that that I can see where getting excited about the next big thing would put you know something else maybe on the back burner because FMV was a lot of people were excited about it back then. I mean, mm-hmm. like you said, well, they yes. got really risk averse because like we were talking about before, where the budgets went way up. Yeah. So there was so bi- it's basically your the budget of a game. If you if you had a flop, it could kill the entire. But there were some huge. To- there were some huge FMV hits back then, like Seventh Guest, like Night Trap, like. Uh, uh, don't don't even bring up that Dana Plato stuff. Come on. Nitro, <laughs> it wasn't a good game, but it was huge back in the day, massive, and and ever and like like after you said, Phantasmagoria, that was big. Yeah, um, why did Gary Coleman never get his own game? That's what I want to know. That's yeah. that's the true tragedy. I, well, yeah, we had Jimmy Walker and uh, Ripper, so Gary yeah. Coleman should have. Um, did you get to meet the yeah. cast? Did you get to meet the cast of Ripper? Because there was oh that was, yeah, that was yeah, a I was good on, cast. That was a good cast. I was on set and and I was rewriting. You know, 
it, it that that was that was such a crazy experience like of not really understanding how we were even going to go about it and and you know from a technical point of view and having to you know have these actors on a on a on a on a green screen set and then try to match it up to the you know to the rough uh digital sets and yeah it was in you know uh having to just rewrite on the fly based on um oh you know just, just a, a number of things that happened like Raquel Welch's daughter was was cast Pony yeah, she was I in, see that but you she also was had... in uh Sorry. in uh cocoon she was in cocoon now but she like she showed up and first day i don't know she fell down the stairs or something and oh. broke her ankle and we then we had to rewrite the whole her whole part you know overnight and you know she had we we ended up putting her in a coma in a hospital bed you know um and you're, so you know so all kinds of crazy stuff i'm just happened. looking your game must have been one of paul giamatti's earliest roles yeah, actually, it, I was just talking to someone about that tonight. Um, we were reminiscing and yeah, uh, you know, it's funny because there, there were, there were the celebrities, you know, the Christopher Watkins and Karen Allen's and Burgess Meredith and John Reese Davies. And then there was this whole cast of characters who, um, a lot of them you would have bet money were going to be stars. And, uh, and, you know, and some of them, some of them did well. Some you never saw again. You know, a lot of them, like Artie from The Sopranos was in it. And, you know, there's all these people that, that pop up in it. And, but yeah, Paul Giamatti came in, you know, a throwaway role. And he, he brought that, that character to life. And he, you know, he made him quirky wow. and he was great. And, you know, at this point, I'm, I have no idea who this guy is. And I, I liked hanging around with him because his father was Bart Giamatti, you know, the, Commissioner of Baseball that banned Pete Rose for life. So he was, um. Oh God, really? That's how, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I knew the name, you know, and, oh, wow. but he was a terrific, like, you know, like I said, this was like a throwaway part, you know, but, but he, he brought it to life in such a way that we would go away at night and r- write more stuff for him because he was clearly, you know, really good and really, uh, just had fun with it, you know, and so. He turned out to be the biggest star that broke out of, oh, wow. of unknowns at that time. Did he? Complete unknown at that point. Yeah. And on was, the other uh, end, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, he was he was a really delightful guy. I'm going to say uh, on the sure. other end of the spectrum, it probably was one of Burgess Meredith's last roles. Last uh, ones, and we worked we worked him to death. Um, not literally, you know, only, I hope. <laughs> it, pretty oh. close. Um, oh. You know, he he was he was. I think he had just hit his nineties. And, you know, he came in and we only got him for a day. And, you know, he was, he was really old at that point. And, you know, it was a big script, you know, lesson uh, to any writer out there. Don't write 90 year old people, you know, big scripts um, because they, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, they're professionals and they want to deliver a great performance. But that, that took, you know, I don't know, 12, 13 hour, 14 hour day. You had to be pretty respectful having God on the set though. Yeah. <laughs> He was, uh, he was really a nice guy and really great memory of, uh, you know, I mean, I grew up, you know, watching Batman and the Penguin and, and then Rocky, you know, is like Clash of know, the Titans. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Little movies of my, you know, this is like a, an icon walking in and he was, uh, yeah. full of stories and, and, uh, you know, he, we shot that in New York and, you know, he, he was telling us about when he was a kid in New York and it was just great. You know, he was, 
he was a great guy, but boy, we worked him hard. And um, so, quick, quick know. Burgess Meredith story. Um, so, f- friend of mine who he was a local celebrity back in Cleveland, so Chuck Shadowski. Um, did Did you ever meet uh, uh, Ernie Anderson, who did all the voiceover stuff for was it ABC? Uh, whoever had the love boat. All right. So he, he was like the voice booth announcer for like the love boat and all those shows back in the eighties. Um, but anyway, so the, those guys came up together in uh, in TV eight in Cleveland. So they used to shoot like short skits for, for their uh, like Friday night, late night movie host thing that they did together. And uh, Burgess Meredith happened to be in town. And he, so they were shooting this skit that Chuck had written. And uh, I, cause I did an interview with Chuck, like, five, five, six years ago. <clears throat> and he brought this story up where he had uh, Burgess Meredith there and they did this thing where uh, they had like tied him to the front of a train. It was like, it was like <laughs> this, the steam tourist train that was in Cleveland. So they've got him like tied to the front of the train and, you know, did all this stuff. And then, but it, you know, and he was, he was kind of elderly even then. Right. But he was a champ and, and did that. And then, uh, but he was at the end of it, he was like, well, Hey, I gotta, I gotta get out of here because you know i gotta catch a flight going going back to la he's like oh what are you up to he's like i i don't know it's some some boxing movie um i don't know it's just gonna be like a flash in the pan nobody's gonna care about this thing but i gotta go and do so (laughs) it turned out it was rocky wow wow he was uh he was great in that now i gotta i gotta say as as just i am that you've got to meet christopher walken who is truly one of my favorite actors i've actually had Mm -hmm. personal movie fests Revolving around Mr. Walken. Well, he should have built. He his, should have built Ripper as Walker Walken. His his library. <laughs> has, yeah. His library of work is just one of the most amazing because he never says no to anything. So like his he, library he of work is just amazing. But you've also got to work with one of my favorite character actors, Ossie Davis. Yeah, I Ossie love Davis. love Ossie Davis. He so, was uh, yeah, really. Wow. He was. Uh, he he was an interesting guy, you know. He was really he he just has that voice and he has that yeah. presence. Yeah, yeah, that but, voice, But you know, man. he 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 would um, you know they'd say cut and he would go sit in his chair. The man could fall asleep in like five seconds, and he would he would like I don't know if he learned how to do it or, um, you know. But it was it was amazing. He could he could like sort of fall asleep on command and and rest and then be you know. Let everybody set up the next shot because these shots took forever to set up with the with the with the the digital aspect of it, and then he would pop right up and you know. And I often wondered, is he really sleeping or is he you know just sort of closing his eyes? But I think he really really did that. Was he, um, was he prior service military? Because uh, the army teaches you that skill. Per- perhaps, yeah. Because I'd never oh, seen really? anything like it. Yeah. Oh, really? oh yeah, just... man. Oh, I I learned oh, how to sleep standing up. <laughs> wow. Give me something to lean on. Wow. Yeah, this this game has an amazing cast. I remember playing it back in the day, and I bought it because of Christopher Walken, but I didn't know all these other awesome people were in it, like Jimmy Walker and whatnot. So that was a really nice yeah, well, that's, surprise. That's what I'm saying. He should have built the game as Walker Walken. <laughs> and, you know. well, but it, hey, uh, Privateer 2. You can't you can't talk about walking and not bring up Privateer Two. Yeah, well, he, I, yeah, we weren't I, the only game in town. I could that, to, yeah. I could totally not bring up Privateer Two any day of the week. That's no problem for me to not bring up Privateer Two. Amazing cast, shitty game, the shittiest of games. Sorry, I hate Privateer Two. I really, 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 really hate that game. 
it had some certain limitations. It had a great cast. I mean, Clive Owen, John Hurt, Christopher Walken, just so many had, good. Had John Rhys Davies. And John Rhys Davies, yeah. Jurgen Proch now, just an amazing cast in that game. Terrible, terrible game. Ripper was not a terrible game though. That was that was a great. How did that game do for you guys? Yeah, I think it did pretty well. That's right. I, you know, I left right before it came out. I finished all my work on it, and then uh, that was my end of take two, and I went went out to Los Angeles. So, um, but I, yeah, I think it, I think it did well. You know, but but FMV they take two did one more FMV game called Black Dahlia, but by the time that came out, that market was was it was a dirty word FMV, and it also uh, wasn't a very good game. I tried playing that one; it wasn't very. Well, you saved me asking if you're involved with it. So yeah. Yeah, um, no, all uh, the the three of us that wrote and designed Ripper, you know, were gone by the time Black Dahlia came out. And um, well, did yeah, it, do you I, think I, it got greenlit because of Ripper's success? It was yeah, like yeah. Do another murder mystery. Oh, sure, yep, it yeah, did. But sense. boy, they didn't have they didn't have the right uh, they didn't have the right people in house to do it. It, anymore, it wasn't lightning in a, it was they couldn't capture lightning in a bottle again because Ripper yeah. was actually quite a good game. It was very scary and, and well written. I know, I really liked yeah. it. Yeah. That was probably one of the last adventure games I ever played. I really got like I started losing patience for adventure games after that. To be honest with you, it's like I don't. Yeah, want to do I, I like. Uh, uh, what was the the Lucas Arts one? They, you know, the Manny Day of the Dead. Uh, oh, uh, uh, um, yeah, yeah, Grim Fandango. Grim Fandango. That was oh, great. Yes. oh, okay, yeah, that yes, was. yes. very and, good. Uh, now you said yeah, you, that, you, that one was great. You said you worked at Disney Interactive for a while. I yeah I I was a contractor there and I I worked on several titles there. Did my, you my work? Wife on... was, Sorry, my wife was uh, seventeen years there. She oh. started as a producer and worked her way up to VP of uh, development at oh. Disney Interactive. So we've got a long, long Disney history in our family. I yeah. had a. I might have was I she do, was I she doing that Sorry. back in two thousand? I might have met her at E three. Uh, yeah, yeah, she was there. Laura Campo was was oh. she blonde? Nope, brunette. Okay. I wonder if I had because I, I went there to do an interview for SEO work back in the mid aughts, late aughts. So I wonder if she was still there. But did you guys have anything to do with the Treasure Planet game that they did? Uh, no, I oh. did not. Poop. No, I did. You know, I worked on Hades Challenge and oh, uh, a couple. You know, um, uh, math. It was a. a so Aladdin's, so you, Aladdin's reading. I worked on that one. Oh, yeah. so more on the educational side of things than the edutainment. Yeah. Edu- oh, that, excuse that, me. Sorry. Is that where you got your toe in edutainment <laughs> for the first time? And, and yeah, the, yeah. And then I, I, and then I, I did a Sesame Street game, which was Sesame Street um, on a console. So it, it was uh, PlayStation One, um, and it was weird. You know, it was the, like the first time Elmo had legs. You know walked around um as a, as a 3d character so uh, so yeah edu- that's kind of where i started in edutainment was was disney and sesame that's really cool so if disney came to you now and said hey you know we've we've done great work in the past together we really need somebody to write this new star wars movie are you down uh, for that or would I you run like hell um you know i guess i i guess i would do that yeah it just, uh, they'd have to, uh, they'd have to, you know, say please, but yes, I would do it. <laughs> well, but it's, it's a risky thing, right? Because, because that'll make or break you, right? Like you, 
if you if you end up like pissing that community off, then you know your name is is banned forever. Oh yeah, but uh, you know I I think what they've done. I mean, this, these Star Wars movies are great. You know, they're they're really great, and and I'm 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 so thrilled that there's going to be a Star Wars movie every year, and they are delight. They, they are just a they are just right on the money. You know, you yeah, I'm I'm thrilled yet a little hesitant because I it's like even when I was a kid, right? You know, we were like three four years in between them, and uh, it, it just blew my mind too. Like when I was when I was twelve. You know, it's like because Star Wars was the greatest thing ever, and I and I, from the moment that I saw it in the theater, I lived it every day from you know for the rest of, it. and yeah. and then to find out, oh my God, they're doing a sequel, and my, you know, my mom took me like on my birthday to see it, and and that was great, and the and that whole the shock uh, spoilers, the Luke, I'm your father, like nobody saw that coming, and mm-hmm. that was insane. That was a and, gut punch. Uh, that was a gut punch and a half. Yeah, yeah, it was just like the whole. Th- theater just went silent you know like yeah. all those kids yeah darth vader you know uh saving luke yeah it was like it was like wrestling you know you watch wrestling and the and the, the the bad guy turns good it felt like that but it was so satisfying do you do yeah. you also fj do you also watch rebels have you watched uh the cartoon at all no i haven't i, I you know i i should i, I it's I quite good the clone wars yeah. and rebels are really Really incredible, like really impressive, and they're actually canon. Like, I don't. You probably remember they got all that rid of all that crap uh, from the extended universe, but the Clone Wars and Rebels are actually canon, which is kind of exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, I I will definitely. Uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely going to check that out. You know, my my probably with my daughter. You know, we'll get into that next. Oh, awesome. Well, I think we need to wrap it up because I'm falling asleep. And I need dinner badly. <laughs> but hey, you said you said walking but never says no to anything. He doesn't. That's so, the thing. He, he, so he, now we got a guy that knows walking, so we can test no, that. No, theory. no, 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 no. I actually like to have Mister Walking he, on the he show. He grew up. He grew up during the Depression, and so he 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 got this work ethic where you never say no to work. So that's right. Why he's, so so we, oh well, wait, we're not paying him. Yeah. You know who the uh, uh, George Ann Walking cast Ripper and. Um, and I, while we were, we were casting the game, you know, I, we knew Christopher Walken was going to be in it. She set that all up. And I, while we were casting, I was in my hotel room in New York and it was like two in the morning. I can't sleep. And Kojak's on and Christopher Walken's on, on, on Kojak. Wait, know? what? <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, he's a young Christopher Walken. So the next morning I go in and I said to Jordan Walken, well, you know, I saw your husband last night at two two a.m. and she said, "Well, you know, what are you talking about?" I said, "He's on, he's on Kojak." And she goes, "Oh yeah, you know." And uh, she says, "Tell him that he'll like he'll like hearing that." And um, and I said to her, "You know, God, he he just you know he's in everything." And she said, "Yeah, he doesn't he does you know he he and De Niro do not believe that they're going to get another job tomorrow. It doesn't matter, you know, how many awards and how many accolades." They come up just as you said. They they come from a from a time where um, you know that they they, they you know they'll take they'll take pretty much anything because they in their mind they 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 think this could be the last one. Yeah, but thank um, God so, he does because because yeah. of that he's been in some really epic things that I, I don't think an actor that was risk averse would have been in. I got to tell, yeah. tell you all, if you like walking, you have an hour and a half to kill, 
and you don't mind a really bad movie, watch Puss in Boots. It's, oh, God, yes. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of his favorite movies because he gets to sing and dance in it. Yeah. He yeah. loves that movie. So it's our favorite movie it's, for a it's, different reason. It's, it's so it's terrible. It's got Sean Connery's son and they took a very short fairy tale and spread it out to 90 minutes. It's awful. It's an awful movie, but he fucking owns it. Like owns every scene he is in. Like, it's, you know, it's that's amazing. the point. Cause, cause the, the walking accent, right? He didn't have it wow. so much. Like, like, yeah, I know, right? I, like, that's my big failing in life is I can't do a good walking. It's not um, easy. That's why it's I never made easy. it. Like, so many people no. try. And but, dude, I saw a Chinese kid do it, and it just dropped my jaw. Like, well, no, when you I, know, he he because he had he had the whole like you know Asian accent thick as hell, and then he just dropped into perfect walking, and it's just like I'm a failure. <laughs> out he, out here, they have <laughs> like, a show you can see it every now and again called All About Walking, and it's about ten mm. walking impersonators including white guys, Asians and women. And, and they all do walking great. And they do bits from his movies and they do like, they all do the, uh, the music video he did. They do that in sync with each other. Mm. It's, it's amazing. It's, but I, it's but I wonder amazing. at what point, at what point was that his accent, you know, just natural. And then he became famous for it. So is he doing the best walking impression? Uh, I don't know. Because <laughs> he's doing it too. So it's like Inception. It's a walking inside. Oh, yeah, that's that's going to blow my mind. No, I, I can't I, sleep. I, I won't be able to sleep now thinking, oh, my God, it's walking within walking. Did, within did walking. you hear Kevin Pollack's story about when he used to call and leave him messages on his answering machine as himself? Freak him out. <laughs> my, my, fa- my favorite Kevin Pollack story is when he was giving him a ride home at a party. And and he turns on his car from a distance, and the lights go on, and Walken just goes in the front of the car and does his, his pose. He's like, "Chase me!" <laughs> he says to the car, "It's like, the, oh my god!" And and he's always wonderful on SNL. Uh, Florida just brought that up. So you know, um, he, he he was a he was a child star too on Broadway. Yeah, you know, he was yeah. singer dancer. You know, that's, so that's, he, he's been at it his whole life. That's why yeah, I he, bet he's a true pleasure just to hang out with. Just oh my god, for on he's any a, topic. Well, he's not a big talker, and he's uh, at least then he wasn't. You know, um, mm. I don't, I don't know these days. He, you know, he he's he's cordial and he's nice, but he's very, you know, he's sort of, uh, you know, goes into himself. And mm. there were there were times I did talk to him. And he sort of doesn't make eye contact with you, you know, but he's talking and, and then, uh, and then you'll be like 18 feet away at the, you know, getting a bagel at the craft table and his eyes are locked right on you. It's just this weird, you know, it's like, uh, and then you, you, you get startled, but yeah, he's, he, he was, he was a interesting guy, you know, definitely yeah. a character. So one last question from, uh, the peanut gallery and then we'll wrap this up. Flame asks if there's, any chance, even in theory, of a any kind of remake or re-release, anything? You just got to find somebody to write that check, and anything's possible. <laughs> you know, you know. I was just saying to someone today, it's funny the game industry doesn't reboot. You know, the way the movie industry does, because you've got these things that are sitting out there, and they're designed, and they're well thought out, and they're you know they've been proven. And yeah, they're going to need a new, you know, facelift and and you know, apply new technology to it. But you know, I think I think there's a huge opportunity for, um, 
you know, th- there's some companies that own these properties that they probably don't even know they own them. You know, I don't even know. I work there and they bought my company and I don't know where Microprose properties are today. Who owns them? Um, you know, who, who has the rights to that stuff? I don't even know, you know, so. Well, I think Gearbox with Homeworld is like the the big success story to trumpet, right? It's like they they took that franchise from 20, 15 years back, yeah, and and just made some serious bank on it. So, yeah, it would it would be great to see you know some some of this stuff come back and and in a you know in a new you know in a new uh, new decade you know new yeah because the ideas are still sound. It's just they're, they're still graphical sound. upgrade. Yeah, and the like stories them. are still great, and the writing is yeah. still great. You know, this stuff deserves to be in front of a new audience. I think. Yeah, I I agree, and and I you know it's funny. I was just talking to someone about that tonight. I said, you know, why why is the game industry not like movies? That all they can do is reboot. God, they they don't even wait a year. They reboot. I think you it's know, because Spider-Man and Batman. I think it's kind of, I think it's because gamers can be a little more fickle. Like if you reboot something and it's doesn't match the nostalgia glasses, people get upset. But if well, like you change also, if you, one little even thing, even if you make a terrible Batman movie, you're going to make a billion dollars. Mm, That's why it's guaranteed. So yeah, it's it's tough to call. I mean, some remakes do great. Like you have HD remakes, like the Age of Empires. Ones and you have like full on remakes like the XCOM games, and uh, but I can't think of one that's failed though, honestly. But there are some that do well. But yeah, this this needs to be on GOG. We need I need to look this up. Look who owns the rights to this. This needs to be in front. I mean, it works perfectly in DOSBox. I all I had to do was like mount it in DOSBox, installed, worked, no problems. Like worked yeah. perfectly, and I actually have—I don't know if I told you this—I actually have a uh, Roland MIDI unit. I actually have a uh, ro- sound canvas. Uh, sounds fabulous with that. The music sounds amazing with that MIDI hardware. Well, Michael Bross will be glad to hear that. Um, he's—he's uh, he's coming to stay with me next weekend. Uh, oh, oh, tell him, show him the videos because on my channel because I. Uh, I've got a Roland MT32 and an SC55 chained together, and the music you hear in the in the videos are both of those playing at the same time. Mm. And it sounds great. There's, it sounds great. There, there's a guy you should talk to, Michael Bross. You know, he started. I you know, I hired him as first job at Paragon. Okay, he's a composer, audio guy, sound effects, music. He, you know, he went he went on from Take Two to uh, Odd World. And he was their resident composer. Oh my god, then, I love the Odd World music. Yeah, oh my yeah. god. And, and now he's 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 scoring. Uh, you know, he, he he owns World Audio Group, and you know he's working with Oculus and Facebook, and yeah. So he's had a he's had a stellar career in the industry. as uh, as one of the top sound guys. But he yeah he would he'll be glad to hear that uh, that you know Star Crusader has still resonated well with you on the, on the sound side. Yeah, that's the guy that, great that guy. Uh, Joe Mastriani needs to sit down and have a audio chat with. Or us, yeah, or yeah. us. We could you put yeah. me put him in. Or ask us. him if he'd like to come on the show, and if so, please put him in touch with me because I would love. I to. will. I mean, he, like I said, he 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 will be in. He will be uh, hanging out at my the house on the lake here next weekend. So we yeah, will that, we will do that. So Brian did this thing where he he went to great uh, effort to find one of the, this old Roland MIDI thing, right. And hooked it up 
And I have for years played TIE Fighter, but I've never heard it with a Roland MIDI hooked up. And hearing that, it was it was the difference between like hearing it on an mm-hmm. old tin radio versus going to the orchestra. Yeah, I I could not believe that was actually there the whole time. It yeah. just blew my mind. Yep. yep. Yeah, that yep. was a that, oh, that would be wow. a good conversation. I like that. Oh wow! I'm looking up uh, Michael Bross's credits on Moby Games here. He worked on Fleet Defender. He worked on Star Rangers, War Inc. That was a great game. Yeah, he, Star we, Rangers is something we need to have a conversation about. That was a great game. That great that was a remake of, of the Star old Star Raiders, Raiders. Yeah, which I I do not understand. There are so many indie game developers out there. Star not Raiders make, is such a simple thing. Make it, dude. The, that, <laughs> Just that, do it. The Iron Sky game is basically Star Raiders, basically. Yeah, which and that's don't a good discourage game. them. I'm just saying that's a good game. The movie not so much, but the game is great. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, FJ, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk about um, talk about your game, Star your your games, really multiple games, but especially Star Crusader because I have rediscovered it recently. It has pretty much moved up to some of my top in my top gaming pantheon because it's just so good, and I feel bad that I didn't really give it its due back in the day. Because well, you know, I, I'm I'm glad you know I'm glad we got to do this. I mean, it, it's nice to remember it, you know, um, and remember the you know and revisit it. You made me go sort of go back and look at it and look at the old script, and you know, it brought back great memories. That was a you know, it's it's a career highlight for sure. It's it's probably the best reviewed and received game, and um, you know, it's just nice to to talk to, 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 to you about it. It really, it, it's been a really, really great um, experience. You know, I thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. And if we, if we, if we do bring uh Mr. Bross on, we, we, you can totally come back with him. We can have a, we can have a, an, an even larger conversation. Cause that would be a lot. Oh, of fun. Yes. That'd be a lot of fun. I think. Put, put a six pack in us. We'll tell you some. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! I will. I will mail you one. Just give me an address. Yes. I will definitely ship. Yeah. I will definitely we, ship you. We've got all kind of great stuff. Wait, you're oh. in Maryland, right? I could deliver that. <laughs> yeah. You know, actually. Um. So, Brian, seriously, uh, yeah. That that war game thing that goes on uh, in Virginia, the thing that we went to some years ago. We have to find out when that is. And Hunter and I were talking about Magfest, which is which is up in the DC-ish area. Um, but yeah, if you, if you wanted to fly out here for Magfest next year, which is What's like Magfest? right after the holidays, What's so, um, it's music, art, and oh. games festival. Well, yeah. I'm not and, flying anywhere this year because of the wedding. So that's where all my money's going. Um, but oh, yeah, okay. But but next well, no, year. have the wedding here. Let's <laughs> get married like right at the convention. To, <laughs> Dress up in cosplay or whatever. No, okay, don't. So, folks, just a few programming notes before we wrap up. Uh, next week on the show, we are welcoming back the aforementioned Joe Mastriani of the Upper Memory Block Podcast. We're going to be diving into the X-Wing series. Uh, no, we tried to do that before, remember? And it didn't work out because his internet in Canada died. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so we're we're revisit. We're, we're going to try again. Hopefully the internet will oh, work this be, time. Uh, can you... Any any luck in uh, maybe getting Dave to show up? I that? asked him about it and I gave him the date, but it's the middle of the night for him. In yeah, where, that's true. In in Norway or wherever he is, so 
Uh, that man has endurance. I know. Oh my God, the last I, time he was on, he stayed up till the morning. I mean, I'll, I'll remind him about <laughs> it if he can't. Him. I'll remind uh, David if he can't. David Westman, who created the missions, if he can. Great. If you can't, that's totally understandable. Uh, this week for Multiplayer Madness, the uh, developers of Convicted Galaxy specifically requested that we play Risk of Rain, uh, which is a single and multiplayer, really, really, really brutal roguelike platformer. Like one of the first brutal roguelike I'm, platformers. I'm going to break a controller on that for that, sure. It came out like four years ago. It was one of the, I think even before Spelunky, it's like, it's so hard. It's so hard, you guys. Um, but it's good, and we're going to try that multiplayer, so that's this Thursday. Uh, so, uh, FJ, again, thank you very much for coming on, folks. Um, on the website, uh, will be a link to FJ's website where you can check out his books, the other games he's worked on. What's the name of the book series again? Remind me. Uh, Soul Trapper and Devil's Gate. Right, uh, King, and that's at F- And if I recall, that's at fjlennon.com. That's right. Um, yeah, so can, are those on Audible as well? Or they are not on Audible. No, no, they are. They're on Kindle. Yeah, but they are on yeah. Kindle, which matters to me. Yes. So, because yeah. <laughs> I need every book on Kindle now. Uh, yeah. So, FJ, I want to thank you for coming on and talking about this this twenty three year old game that a lot of us still love. And well, thank thank you. That was it was it was great to. Uh, to revisit it and take that trip down memory lane. It, it was, um, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Thank oh, you. Yeah. Well, it's a testament to the goodness of the game that Brian persevered to the end of it, because with the schedule that he's set for himself, it's usually like one, two times he can touch a game and then he's out. Yeah. So for yeah. him to be there for, what is it like 50 some missions that are in this yeah. thing? Well, yeah, usually um, with a game, I will just stick with it for a week, like five entries and, if I really like it, I'll continue, but a lot of the times I'll just be like, we're done. Um, but with this one, I'm like, I'm going to play this through the end, maybe an entry or two a week, you guys, until I finish it. And uh, I finished it in 14 entries, which is about 30 or 40 missions. And I'm going to go back and do more entries in the Goreen campaign. Um, so stay tuned for that. Oh, yeah, that's wait. true, because there's like a whole nother. There's a whole nother campaign. There. So I'm going to go yeah. back and try the other side of it, which I read is even harder uh, to play as the Goreens. So it's not uh, easy being green. It's uh, green. Oh, oh god! Is that why they're good. named? No, Goreens that was good. That was good. Green. I didn't even see that coming. That was good. <laughs> is is that little writer's <laughs> secret? Is is that why you named them Goreens because they're green? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> well, again, I, I should. <laughs> well, again, FJ, thank it's you. It's not easy. Again, thank you. Not so Not easy much. being green. Uh, it really isn't. It really, especially especially for poor Roman Alexander. You guys groan, but he'll be telling that this weekend when he gets a couple of beers. In him. Yeah, that's uh, right. So again, uh, everyone, thank you for listening and watching, and uh, we'll see you next week in another episode. Thanks again. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Let's have some music in here, Boiler. Do a thing. <laughs> Yeah.